always feels weird having people carry my stuff out for me. <laughs> Makes me feel special. Anyway, uh, so we're, we're wrapping up our final week of uh, this series that we've been doing called Unlikely Heroes. And over the past four weeks, what we've been doing is we looked at four ordinary characters from the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And what we've been trying to do is we, we've been trying to learn something about them. Uh, we've been trying to answer the question, how, how could God use them to have extraordinary impact? And we've been looking at what was it, what, what characteristic was it about them that they used to have extraordinary impact? Because I believe, should we actually choose to embrace that character, whatever it was about them in our, in our own lives, that we have the opportunity to have pretty amazing impact in our life, that God will use us to have impact on our family, on our friends, people who don't know Jesus, at our school, on our team, company, in our neighborhood, in our own church, in our own home, that he'll help us have extraordinary impact in ways that we would never be able to do on our, on our own. And each week I've kind of started off by trying to lay the groundwork, set the imagination for when we were young and, and how we would look at heroes and, and try and be like them. I've even talked about how some of us had dreams of being kind of the everyday heroes, your, your firefighters, your police officers and whatnot. But I realized something over this past week that I've really kind of left out an entire people group that I, that I wanted to make sure I made right today. So who loves fairy tales? Come on. Who loves fairy tales? Okay. Uh, come on, guys. Come on, guys. I've seen how many of you guys have posted that this is the year for the Huskers. So, like, I, I know, I know that there's more of us in this room who like fairy tales than we're saying out loud. But Fairy tales, they're, they're really kind of awesome. They, they do have a very similar story arc to them. There's always this obscure young girl who, who might be forced to like, work as a servant to one of her evil family members. Or, or there's, this, there's this girl that lives in a forest with seven tiny men. It's kind of questionable there. But eventually, like, she's found. She's rescued by a prince. And, and, and then this, the similarity makes it completely predictable for us that, that no matter where the princess or the heroine might be, right, wherever she begins the story, whatever her position in life is, whatever her station in society might be, whatever her job might be, despite how uh, negative her circumstances might be or her surroundings might be, how desperate her situation seems, they, they always seem to at some point, they begin to realize that they have this kind of greater purpose in life. That they're meant for something bigger than what they're experiencing, and then they're rescued, and they get to go be the princess or the prince or whatever. But then they realize, though, that when they're in that position, that it gives them a unique opportunity. Well, our story for today, it actually kind of mirrors that a little bit. It's a lot like a fairy tale. Now, there's no sorcerers. There's no fairies. There's no genies. There's no mermaids or mermans for my Zoolander fans. Anybody like Zoolander? That's a great movie. I did waste like 10 minutes watching that clip over and over again this week. But, but, you, but anyway, we have this orphan girl, right? She's, she's an orphan girl and she's picked out of obscurity. She's kind of plucked right out of where she is. And she's taken to go compete in this beauty contest. And while she's there, she ends up winning this beauty contest. And then she becomes queen. The, the winner of the contest becomes queen. She wins and so she's queen. And then we have this evil man, kind of our antagonist, if you will, who plots her destruction and really the destruction of, of all her people. Uh, but because of her selflessness and ultimately her bravery and she's, well, well, we'll finish that later. I, wanna, I don't want to give away the ending to the story. But in every fairy tale, every kind of Marvel or DC comic superhero movie, we, we know that the hero always prevails. They, they always end up winning. But for that to happen, for any of that to take place, whether it's a fairy tale or a superhero movie, in all those stories, the, the hero at one point or another has to decide that they're willing to risk 
at all. They, they have to be willing to selflessly put aside their own hopes and their own desires, their dreams, their, their own security, ultimately their own well-being for the, for the greater good of all people in hopes that they might actually have some kind of impact on the world around them. And, and we all know <laughs> in a fairy tale, it always works out in the end, right? There's always the happily ever after. But you might be wondering, like, God, Matt, that's not my story, right? That's, that's not what life is really like. There's bumps and there's twists and turns and there's sadness and there's hurt. And it doesn't always work out in the end. Man, I'd love to have extraordinary impact in my life. But if you, if you haven't noticed, like, uh, I'm just trying to make it. <laughs> I'm just trying to push my way through. And, and, and really, I'm just in... Well, you fill in the blank, right? I'm just a carpenter or, you know, I'm just an administrative assistant. I'm just a trainer. I'm just a whatever. But what I want you to see today, my hope for you, my, kind of our, our main point, our bottom line for today is this, that you are in a unique position to have unique impact. You're in a unique position to, to have unique impact. You are where you are because God has placed you there for a purpose. And I get it, right? Like fairy tales and superhero movies and all that, they, they always, they fall grossly short of the depth of selflessness that it actually takes to risk anything for the sake of others. To, to, what it actually feels like for us to risk anything to try and have impact, they, they, they fall short because they're not real. They're just stories, but your life is real. Whatever risk that you might take to, to have impact on anybody, it's a real risk. You really feel it. So let me ask you, what are you willing to risk? What are you willing to risk? Because our ordinary character, our unlikely hero today, she was ready to risk it all. I don't know if you remember, so a few weeks ago I preached a sermon on Nehemiah and I talked about how Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king and the, the Jews were, were in exile in Babylon and this was Nehemiah's story. Well, this is kind of in that same realm. We're in that same time period, if you will. The Jews are in ex exile in Babylon. Uh, Babylon is ruled by the Persian king at this time, Xerxes. And Xerxes, he, he asked his wife if she'd come and do something that she didn't want to do. Uh, she, she had been asked to come and dance before all the king's friends, and she just wasn't going to do it. So she's just kind of the first woman that we see in Scripture, at least at this point, that is just like standing up to it. She's like, I'm not going to go do that. And so all the king Xerxes kind of friends are like, hey, dude, if you don't punish her for not listening to you, then our wives won't listen to us, and that's not going to work. And so he, just, he decides, King Xerxes, he kicks her out of the palace says, you're no longer the queen. And so she leaves. And so the king's attendants at this point, they're like, hey, I've got an idea. How about we throw a beauty contest? We'll, we'll go find all the most beautiful women in, in the land and we'll bring them to you and we'll, we'll hold this beauty contest. And then you can decide who you want to win that contest. Whoever wins will be queen. And so then they go out and they go find all the most beautiful women in the land. Everybody they can find, they actually bring them to the palace and for a month, you know, they're bathing in like essential oils and they're all the perfume. They're getting their hair did. They got their nails done. And so everybody's preparing for this beauty contest. And eventually the contest is won by a Jewish girl named Hadassah. We, we actually know her better as Queen Esther. Queen Esther, Hadassah, she was, a, she was a, an orphan. She, she was raised by her adopted father, her uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai, before she went off to this contest, he wanted to make it very clear to her. He's like, hey, if you go to this contest and you win, you might want to, it, it might go well for you if you don't let him know 
that you're a Jew. It's probably best that he doesn't know, which actually turns out to be quite providential for the rest of the story. And Esther reaches the pinnacle of society. She has the best of everything. Anything that anybody could ever want, not a worry in the world. And then kind of steps in our, kind of our, our antagonist in the story, our villain, if you will. And his name is Haman. Haman, for whatever reason, has this major vendetta against the Jewish people. In the story, we don't actually get to know why, but he doesn't like them. And this is what we read at the beginning of the story here in Esther 3. We read this, that Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in the province of your kingdom who keep to themselves separate. He's talking about the Jewish people in exile there in Babylon. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to just tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So what he's, what he's doing here is Haman's just kind of pleading to the king. He, he wants the Jewish people gone. And he's like, hey, king, I know you got a new, like, it's coming up on a, on a new cycle here. You're going to have to get reelected, right? And so how about I give some money to your campaign? And so I looked up what this amount of money would be. And so Haman had a few dollars, apparently, because he was willing to give $217 million into the king's treasury just to make sure that the vendetta that he had against the Jewish people would get played out and they could be gone. That seems crazy to me. And the king says this. He's, he's like, hey, I, I could use that money. I could use that money, so go for it. And then he writes a decree. He seals that decree with his ring, which becomes important later on in the story. And, and they pick a day. They pick a day that they're going to go destroy all the Jews. Uh, and they send it out in a mass email to all the provinces so all the rulers of the province know what day they're going to go destroy all the Jews. Uh, and they go ahead and give the people a heads up, which is really strange to me. It's like, hey, everybody, all you Jewish folks, just know that on Tuesday we're coming. You're going to be destroyed. It just seems really strange that they'd give them a day, but they did. And we read on. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city. This was just a a cultural way of them to, to show outwardly uh, the mourning that they were going through on the inside. It was very common. Uh, went, into the wall, uh, went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Mordecai needs to get word to Esther. And so he goes up to the, to the city gate, which was really close to the, to the palace where she would be, uh, and, he, and he hands uh, her attendants a copy of the email. He's like, here's a copy of the email. You can see what he's saying. He's going to come get us. And he asks Esther to go before the king and to make a plea before him for her people. Well, Esther sends back what Mordecai would have already known. He would have already known this to be true even when he, before he asked the question. She says, hey, nobody can go before the king unless they've been summoned by the king. Because if they do, if they, they walk before the king without being asked to be there, they're surely going to die. And he hasn't asked for me, Esther would say, he hasn't asked for me in over 30 days. So when Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer to her. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He's making it clear to her. He's like, hey, don't forget, you're a Jew just like we are, and you're not going to make it out unscathed. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your, fam- your father's family will perish Something super interesting about the book of Esther uh, is that the, God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. He's not mentioned. He's not referenced. He's not prayed to. His name is not said. But God is all over this book. And Mordecai is actually proving that to be true 
in that last statement where he says, if, we're, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews. He, he is proving that God is all over this because Mordecai knows the promises of God. He knows that the Jewish people are God's people, that God has a plan and a purpose for them that he may not be able to see right now, but he knows that that plan is going to come to fruition no matter what it takes. And so, yeah, Esther, you may not go do this at this point, and we might die, but God will still fulfill his promises. I love seeing that right there. And then finally, the, maybe the most popular verse in the book of Esther, if, you, if you've ever read it. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Mordecai saying maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a unique position for unique impact. Maybe God has placed you to fulfill God's purpose in this place because you're the only one who can fill it. Maybe he knows that you were there for such a time as this. Maybe everything that has gone on in your life has led you to this very moment. God may not be mentioned in the book, but Mordecai knows him. Mordecai is proclaiming God's providence and God's sovereignty and ultimately God's control over everything that takes place. Then Esther responds to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though I know it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The book goes on, and I, I would suggest reading it. it. It is a fascinating book. It, it actually reads more like a novel than most uh, times that you would read through the Bible if you've read through it in the past. It, it's awesome and crazy, and it would blow your mind. I think that you should go and read it. But we'll come back to kind of the conclusion of this story and how it all works out in just a little bit. But I did want to share with you, before we move on, a, a few stories of some friends of mine, some friends of mine who I believe have done this really well. But they've lived out this whole idea of the fact that they're in a unique position, and because they're in that position, they can have unique impact. The first one is Justin Kerher. Justin Kerher is a part of Relevant. Justin's a football coach uh, for Elkhorn North. I, I love Justin. He's, he, he's an awesome guy. And I, I, recently, we've had multiple conversations, I can remember, just over the past few months, where he's told me that he believes that God is calling him to be more than just a football coach. That, that his opportunity to have impact on these kids is greater because of the amount of time he spends with them. And he's realizing that he wants to be known more for the impact that he's had on their lives going forward past football than, than making them the best football player they can be. And so Justin has yet to tell me any stories of, hey, because I'm a football coach or because I've spent time with these kids, they've put their faith in Jesus. He, he's yet to tell me a story of, hey, I spent time with this kid and he showed up at Relevant and it's been awesome. None of those things have happened yet, but I believe that they will. Justin believes that they will and he believes that he's called to be more than just a football coach. But what is it that he's possibly sacrificing to be able to do that? Well, coaching within the public school system. Now, we all know that, that like there's this balance between how much can you share and how much can't you share? What should you say and what shouldn't you say? How far is too far? If I'm talking to somebody about faith in the public school system, he's willing to lay that on the line to be able to know that he can really have the impact for people towards Jesus that he wants to have. Justin's also dumb enough to send me this picture when I asked for pictures of him. And I'm like, dude, you know you've seen me preach. It's going up on the screen. So the next people are Trevor and Sarah Baxter. Trevor and Sarah happen to be one of Holly and I's closest friends. Trevor and Sarah are local business owners. They own one gym 
here in Elkhorn. And man, they have shared their faith openly for as long as I've known them within their business. They have made it completely obvious to anybody who comes into their business that they care far more about people's overall health, spiritual health and everything than they do whether they can do a pull-up. Uh, it leads to all kinds of spiritual conversations. Dozens of people are part of Relevant because of uh, Trevor and Sarah and the impact that they've had at their gym. In fact, just this Friday, I was, in, I was in there working out. I was talking with Sarah. She told me a story of how she had just been in a consult with a, with a new uh, potential client, somebody that might sign on at the gym. And they started talking about all the stuff that was going on in their lives, why they wanted to get healthier. And Trevor's a very focused man. Trevor's like, okay, well, let's talk about fitness. Let's talk about fitness. And the girl happens to mention, well, about six months ago, I, I had a, a plan to commit suicide. Like I had it written out. I, I knew exactly how I was going to do this. And, and she was ready to act on that plan. And through some circumstances, she got shifted. And, but things haven't been going great for her. And so in that consult with Sarah, who has also dealt with some mental health struggles in her past, she was able to speak life into this woman. She was able to speak truth and hope and, and begin a relationship with this woman that's going to go far beyond her membership at a gym. Now, what are they possibly sacrificing every time they lay out their faith in front of somebody? Well, they're, they have the potential for financial loss. This could actually impact their pockets. Like, they could have less money in their bank account because of what they choose to do. Because what if somebody's turned off by this? What if somebody's turned off by the fact that there's Bible verses on their gym t-shirts or the fact that they pray before an event? What if somebody wants to walk away because of that? Well, they're willing to lay that on the line because they know that they're in a unique position to have unique impact that nobody else can have. That's what Chris Thiessen. Chris is a high school student here at Relevant. He's part of YU, our high school student ministry. Chris is a, is a high-level baseball player. He's a great baseball player. He's been the leadoff hitter for Elkhorn North, the two-time state champions. As somebody whose son played against him, he's quite annoying because you can't ever get him out. The, the guy can hit the ball like crazy. He's awesome. Well, in 2022, like, he had the opportunity to go to YU summer camp knowing that should his team actually make it to the state championships in the summer that he wouldn't be here to go. And they made it, and he wasn't able to go play. He chose to go to camp instead. Well, if that wasn't enough, in 2023, he, he felt like God was leading him to be a part of the team that was going to, to serve orphans at Safe Haven Orphanage in, in Thailand, knowing that that, that that trip would take place during the exact same time as one of the largest recruiting uh, tournaments here in Omaha, that, where there are more coaches coming to watch players than at any other time in the summer. And trust me, I know exactly what this feels like. I have a son who plays college baseball. We just went through it. I can't even imagine having to make that decision. And yet he chose to go serve orphans at Safe Haven Orphanage. What was he willing to sacrifice? Well, for him, it, it wasn't even a potential sacrifice for him. He actually sacrificed the opportunity for something that he's worked his entire life for, having a coach see him so that he might get a scholarship to play baseball in college. Well, for Chris, he wouldn't have known this at the time, but a coach had seen him just a week prior, seen him play, and when he got back from Thailand, he was offered a scholarship to go play college baseball, but he didn't know that. He didn't know that when he went. And so, yeah, for Chris, it is kind of a happily ever after story within that scenario. The final one's kind of my favorite. Uh, her name's Holly. She's my wife. Well, most of our marriage, Holly has kind of wondered and struggled and working to try and figure out what her 
purpose was, right? Like, what, what is she here for? Because surely it's got to be something bigger. And, and as a pastor's wife, like, there's just some struggle in that. Like, a, a lot of people look at what we do and think that, that we get to have such great impact and because we're leading people to Jesus or whatever. And, I, and we say it all the time up here, man, you guys have so much more opportunity than we do. But, but it was hard for her. She was struggling trying to figure out that out. And so she, she was in management and retail. She worked a few different retail positions. But it was always just trying to find the right thing, right? Like, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something bigger. And so she tried all these different things. She tried real estate. She tried to run her own business. We tried a few different things. But eventually realized, man, hey, when she was in a retail position, more people came to talk to her than in any other point in her life. She, she just has that personality where people just share very uncomfortable things, you know, in the break room, right? But yet she had more opportunity in that to lead people to Jesus than she's ever had. She's invited more people to Relevant than I have. I, I can almost say that for sure. She, she just is constantly telling people about what God has done in her life and, and having an impact on people and, and bringing them here because of her opportunities that she has. She's now back at Home Goods. She's finally decided she's going to roll with that. And so as a manager there, she's constantly in conversation with people and giving them an opportunity. But what, what, what was she possibly sacrificing? Well, for me, I think what she possibly was sacrificing is much easier for us to relate to than maybe some of the other things. She probably is not going to lose her job if she invites somebody to relevant. She's probably not going to lose her opportunity to be promoted in the future if she shares Jesus with somebody. It wouldn't impact us financially. It's unlikely to hinder her really in any way. But she has to ask the question that I think you have to ask, that, that I've had to ask. Well, what if, what if I lose a friend? What if I, what if I get made fun of or... They, they think I'm a little weird or like a Jesus freak. Or what if I get outcast? I, th I think that's something that we've all had to deal with on some level. For those of us that follow Jesus and, and want other people to follow Jesus. But let me tell you, if you're in a place at all, and we're all in a place, wherever place that you're in, you're, you're in a unique position that only you can fulfill the purpose and the impact that's meant to be had there. You're on that team for a unique purpose. You're at that job for a unique purpose. You're, you're part of that T-Life group because you're the only one that can have the impact in that T-Life group that you're supposed to have. You're on that team, serving on that team because you're the only one who can have that unique impact. Until you selflessly and boldly step into whatever it is that God is calling you to do, there's always going to be something unfinished. There's a person that you're meant to share Jesus with. There's a certain situation that you're meant to speak life into, that you're meant to speak truth and hope into. There's, there's someone that you're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus for and serve them in a way that, that only you can because nobody else will. You're in a unique position. But the question is, okay, well, how do I go about doing that? Well, thankfully, I think Esther showed us some pretty awesome ways that we can do that and the ways that she did that. The first one is this. Esther identified with her people. We're going to read in Esther 7. There was a pretty big chunk between where we finished that last section to this one. Some awesome stuff that I think you should go read if you're not picking up on that. It says this. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, speaking to the king, and it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. This is the first time Esther has even mentioned that she is a Jew. And so for those of you that have put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, 
Here's kind of the first step. Identify as a follower of Jesus. Identify as a follower of Jesus. Make it known to the people that are around you that you've chosen to follow him. Share your story with them about what God has done in your life. When circumstances come up and they ask you questions or there's, there's things going on in their life, share your story about what God has done in your life. Be open about your desire to follow Jesus. Holly doesn't wear a pen that says, I, I follow Jesus and that's why they come and talk to her. Chris Thiessen doesn't wear a t-shirt that says, ask me about my relationship with Jesus and that's why they come and talk to him and that's why he has him. That's not what, that's not what happens. It's just simply made known amongst the people that they're in relationships with. And they're simply made known through normal human conversation and interaction. They're simply made known by Chris. By He chose to make a very difficult decision that other high school students might not have been able to make. And so it's known that he has chosen to follow Jesus above his desire to play baseball. Second thing that Esther did was Esther was willing to lose the palace. Esther knew that simply identifying herself as a Jew was putting herself at risk to lose the palace. For, for you to be positioned to have extraordinary impact on the world around you, you have to be willing to lose your palace. So the question is, what's your palace? What, what's that metaphor for you? What have you been placing more of your hope in? What have you been placing more of your trust in? What have you had a greater desire for than having impact on the world around you? And, and I guess this is a tough question, right? But what would you be willing to sacrifice if it meant that someone's eternity could be forever changed? The third thing that Esther did was Esther, ultimately, she understood that God was in control. I mean, sure, it was a risk, right, for her. We read that. She, she says it plainly. If I perish, I perish. She, she understood the risk. But for us, it's, it's if I lose a friend, I lose a friend. If I get made fun of, I, I get made fun of. If, I, if I'm outcast from this group, then I'm outcast from this group. I don't get to control the outcome, and I don't even get to determine the impact. I just have to selflessly set aside my palace to watch and see what God does, and we get to see in Esther 8, we get to see what God did. So King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I've given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on a pole he set up. I'm telling you, you should go read it. It's a crazy story. Dude got impaled on his own pole. Just saying. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So we see there that, that God worked in an amazing way. That after all the Jews had been, it had been said that they were going to be annihilated and killed, that a Jewish woman stood before the king and pled before the king. And God changed his heart and his mind. And now ultimately the Jews have been saved because of what? She was willing to risk. And so you're in a unique position. But are you having any unique impact? Are you impacting anybody for Jesus? Are you influencing anybody towards Jesus? 
To do so, you, you have to selflessly set aside your palace. And ultimately, you have to be willing to say, if I perish, I perish. Now, so much of this message has been directed to those of us who follow Jesus, those that have asked him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. But one of the things that I love to do and, and believe wholeheartedly is that Jesus is found throughout the entirety of Scripture, not just the second half, not just the New Testament, that if you look hard enough, then you can see him working in every story. And when I looked at this story, I'm like, man, God's not even mentioned. <laughs> His name's not even said. He's not even referenced or they didn't even point towards him. Where am I going to find Jesus in this story? Where, where am I going to tell people about the goodness of what he's done in, in this story? And then I started to break it down and I thought this. So Esther's in the palace. She has everything she could ever want. She's in the best place she could ever be. She's, she's the queen. And she decides to sacrificially, selflessly sacrifice all of that for the potential of saving her people. And we look at Jesus. What we know about Jesus is he's been around since the beginning of time. Like he's been around forever. And he spent all that time with God in heaven in perfection. He had it all. We, we see in scripture that he was equal to God and yet he chose. He chose to give that up. And he chose to give it up to identify with his people. To identify with you and to identify with me by coming to earth. And then to sacrifice all of it. See, for Esther, it was if I perish, I perish. <laughs> for Jesus, it's when I perish, I perish. Knowing full well that it was that sacrifice that it would take to save his people. To save his people. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, I want you to know I want you to know what took place, that, that he stepped out of eternity, that he stepped out of perfection to this earth, lived a life that nobody could live, a sinless, perfect life, and died that death on a cross for you, to save you. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Would you pray with me? You can just say this prayer with me silently in your head. Just say, Jesus. I know that you love me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you be my Savior this morning? And would you be the leader of my life from this day forward? God, I thank you for the ability that we have to look back on all the work that you've done. And we can read these stories and we can see how they work and have impact in our lives today. God, I pray that no matter where we are, everybody in this room is, is uniquely positioned somewhere. Would you help us to see what it is that you want from us? How can we have impact in a way that ultimately leads, ultimately leads more people to you? Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.